0: Hey, uh, welcome to Element, everybody. Uh, if you are new, usually there is a battery in this mic, so it's kind of crazy. Uh, there are Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes. on all the cleaning tables around the room, they look like this. And if you open them up on the inside, you're going to get a paragraph that reflects on what we talked about today. Underneath that, you're going to get five days of a question to ask yourself every day and a little bit of a reflection in that to pray to God. And then on the other side, what you're going to get is questions to ask your friends, your family, your gospel community. On the back, you'll get the psalm we're covering, then the verses that we are also going through. And you can take notes anywhere on this. We will not be upset if it's covered in crayon or marker or pen or whatever. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion will come up by GPS in your smart device and you'll get sermon notes versus questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. And before we start, I just want to tell you we're going to talk today about community and how we get along with one another and what that's supposed to look like. And in so doing, I just wanted to hit this right before we start, and that is with COVID, there are a lot of things going on where people want to get angry and judge one another, and I think we need to step back from that a little bit. Uh, There are people who will judge those who wear masks in places like, oh, you're such a coward. You should never do that. Because many times we should wear masks in certain places because it's showing that we love our neighbors. As a matter of fact, at Element in the last couple of weeks we had three people on our staff that came down with it. Uh, they have socially they have distanced, they have put themselves where they needed to be. They have contacted everybody that they were in contact with at this point. And at Element, if you know our job, we don't think it's to police you. Uh, What we want you guys to do is simply act like adults. And sometimes acting like adults means that we care enough for those around us to make sure if we are not feeling good, we stay home. Uh, If you are in a place that is questionable, wear a mask. And if you step into a place where people are more comfortable with you wearing a mask, then you should do that because no one's trying to step on your rights by doing that. We have people who would actually come and start to attend services with the rest of us if we masked up in this room. Now, again, we are not going to police that in you, but sometimes we need to think more than just about ourselves and how we are feeling. We need to think about one another because as the body of Christ, we want to be those who care about those around us. And one of the things in the scriptures we understand is that we're not under law. We are under grace. But being under grace means that we should begin to love others around us more because of how God has first loved us. So I just want you to start thinking about that as we go through today's message and talk about this. So why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word, And hopefully you aren't too angry at me just for saying something as benign as that to you. But here we go. This is Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Unity. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for calling us and adopting us in to be your people. We ask that you would teach us how to live that calling out in ways that glorify you and love one another that we would be those who live out in this world in ways that show grace and kindness and the blessing that we have first received. Teach us to be those who live as your ambassadors to this world and all that we do. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are going through this series called the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent are come out of this book called Psalms in the Old Testament. There are 150 Psalms in the Old Testament, and the Songs of Ascent cover 15 of those, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. And they were songs that pilgrims would sing and recite and pray on their way to Jerusalem for one of their feast days and one of their holy days. They were reminders of what God was doing and what God called His people to. And as we go through them, we are walking through them in terms of what is called discipleship with God. And I been kicking around the idea of walking through this for a couple of decades now there's this book came out about uh, four decades ago called a long obedience in the same direction by a guy named Eugene Peterson it was re-released uh, a couple years ago after Eugene Peterson died and I reread it again and I thought yeah we should really go through this and so that's what kind of been doing we've been walking through his translation of these Psalms some translations are better than others but as a way to reflect and remind ourselves what discipleship really looks like and walking with God now we have this this week then next week we're going to jump back to week 12 which we skipped over and then the last week we're going to do week 15 and then we're going to be done with the songs of ascent you're going to have all the steps of discipleship and you're going to walk out into the world and just be in a great relationship with god hopefully. Anyway, so this is how our discipleship journey has gone so far. The first step in discipleship we talked about is repentance. Repentance is returning to who God calls us to be. Uh, We surrender our lives to Him, and out of that repentance, we trust God, His truth over our lives. We trust God's provision for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And our repentance and trust then comes Worship. We ascribe the worth that is due God's name. And in worshiping God, what we then start to do is begin to live out in the world in ways that we serve one another. Because God has first served us in saving us. And as we serve those around us, that becomes part of our witness in the world. We witness to what God has done in our lives, to what He wants to do in other people's lives. We live as His image bearers in the world. And sometimes that is not easy. And this leads into what we call steadfast or steadfast steadfast means that God is the God who is steadfast over us it does not mean that we don't have worries it does not mean we don't have anxiety or fear it doesn't mean we have all the answers but we trust God in all the places where we have doubts and we realize as we do that that God is always faithful and as we understand that God is faithful that will then lead us to a place of joy Joy simply comes as a byproduct of our relationship with God. And then how we work in the world will then come out of that joy. And then blessing comes out of that work. And we bless one another because God has first blessed us. And as we see all these steps in this process of discipleship, we start to be a people who more and more persevere in our lives because we know that God is for us. God has come to us to rescue us and save us. And that means we will step to the next part of this, which is developing this relationship in prayer, not that we haven't prayed every step of the journey so far, not that we aren't talking to God, but when we get here, we realize we can lay ourselves open and bare and honest before God in ways we never have before. And knowing we can do that leads us to a place of humility, which we'll talk about next week. And in that humility, it will move us to a place where we trust God enough to live in obedience. And last week, we talked about that idea of obedience. And I know in American culture, the word obedience, it it sounds so terrible to us. How dare anybody tell me what to do? But it's not meant to be a stifling word. It's a word that comes out of the joy of living in relationship with God. It's a way to live in response to God's goodness. And Psalm 132 is all about that. to cultivate these memories of what David did and what God did that nurtures us to be a people of mature obedience. A people of mature obedience are not those who are involved in legalism, but actually following God and doing what He calls us to do simply because we love Him. My gospel community was talking about this last week, and in the middle of it, I said, and I don't know where it came from, maybe God, I don't know, I said, I said what you see in a lot of churches is people think legalism leads to salvation, and it does not. But obedience on the backside, obedience is what comes out of salvation. It doesn't lead to it. It comes as a natural response to it. And that's what we looked at. Having this memory of what God has done and thinking about that and repeating those things to us, it it guards us from a religion that is ignorant of the ways of God. It guards us from a religion that simply runs towards fear. Eugene Peterson writes this, Obedience to God guards us from religion-run riot with fantasies and nightmares because it has gotten itself disassociated from the promises of God. True obedience is something that sees the continuing faithfulness of God Himself. It connects the past, all that God has done, with our present and then ultimately our future in what He will do. It dispels our fears of what could be coming next. It connects us into the faithfulness of God. It keeps us from getting stuck in mediocrity of just trying to do the same old things. It keeps us open to the leading of where God's going to take us to. Uh, Peterson writes this, Its rhythms stimulate us to new adventures in the Spirit without making us Lunatics. And he says that because in our world today, you know, people of faith, we take the leap of faith. We are, we are trusting Christ in all things. And so, oh, some people think that's lunacy. He says, a Christian who stays put is no better than a statue. A person who leaps about constantly is under suspicion of not being a man but a jumping jack. What we require is obedience the strength to stand and the willingness to leap and the sense to know when to do which. And when to do which comes from the discipleship journey of walking with God and trusting Him and what He calls us into, but it also comes into how we will then encourage and remind one another what God has done. And this is where we get to today with Psalm 133, which goes to community community. And I feel like I've talked about a community a lot this year. The first four messages of 2021 were all about community. A lot of the things I say are just going to be regurgitated from things I've said in the last 10 years. That's good for you. It's a safeguard. Something may trigger in your memory. Oh, Oh, yeah, I've heard this. I need to remember this. Yeah, write it down. It's good to know these things. Jesus even tells us that the world is going to know that we are his by how we love one another. John 13, 35, by this, all men, That means everybody will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Having true love for one another means that we will live in true community with each other, that love brings that about. Why is it so important to God that His people live in community? Because it's how we were made. We were made to be image bearers of Him. One of the things that is unique about Christianity is that we believe God is a triune God, that God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, but He is one God. God exists relationally within Himself, and He creates us to be His image bearers, which means we should live in community with one another. Some people say about Christianity and the Trinity, oh, you just made up the Trinity, we're like, make it up? I, I don't even understand it completely. How am I going to make it up? If I'm going to make it up, I'd at least be able to uh, explain it well enough. I mean, don't be sarcastic with people, but that's kind of the deal, right? The, the Trinity, He's a triune God, calls us to live as His image bearers. So open your Bibles to Psalm 133. That is page 334 if you have an element Bible. The triune God calls us to be a people of community. So you think of these travelers, they're going up to Jerusalem to worship God together. Uh, On that road, you're going to run into other travelers going the same place, and it might get kind of crowded in some places. And what if you get to a spot, and over here you're like, oh, they got campsite A, but there's only four, and campsite A holds ten people. I got ten people, and I'm saying campsite B, it holds six people. Oh, what's wrong with us? Oh, and you get so irritated at people all the time. Well, what do you do? You focus on who God is. You focus on the unity. And that's what the psalm was meant to do. They were meant to recite and sing Psalm 133. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard. Not this Aaron, obviously, because I can't grow a beard to save my life. Flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. And with a long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson points out that when you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of the church. You may think the church is terrible and it's made tons of mistakes, and you would be totally right, but you are still part of the church, Christ's body in the world. Just like you may be born into a family, you may not like your family and the things that they've done or said, you're still part of that family by blood no matter what you do. And if we are followers of Jesus, we become part of His church. renewed to life in God and makes us part of that family but he also points out that that doesn't always mean that we're a happy family It doesn't always mean that you don't get angry with somebody else. It doesn't mean we always like everyone around us. Like, people don't stop doing all the simple things they do the moment they believe in Jesus. What God does is He regenerates our hearts and our lives and He takes us on a journey as He begins to change us into His image and likeness, that we become His image bearers in the world. But He takes us on this process to do that and sometimes it's slow and sometimes it's painful, but we begin to change. God, And we call this sanctification. It's a large word that just simply means that God is moving and changing us more into this image and likeness. But a faster way to do that is actually to live in discipleship with him. A person with poor social skills is still most likely going to have poor social skills. A person who doesn't laugh at my jokes is still not going to have a great sense of humor. <laughs> if you like country music, you know where that's going. Anyway, so Peterson writes this, so the question is not, am I going to be part of a community of faith, but how am I going to live in this community of faith? How? We can't pretend we're not part of God's family. I mean, you can try, but it won't make it true. So how do we live in a community of faith even when people can frustrate us to no end? Now, I talked about this again over the last few years, about a bunch of stuff through this. And how do you deal with difficult people, especially within the body of Christ? If you're like me, uh, there are certain things that just drive me nuts about people. I can watch Christians on TV or listen to podcasts or interviews, and sometimes Christians, they'll have great answers for a first couple questions. And then someone will ask a question they hadn't thought of, and then Christians fall back in these cliches, and they just found, duh. And I'm like, oh my goodness, would you just stop talking? And I get so irritated thinking, you should ask me these questions, or I'll tell you to how to answer these questions next time, and I just start judging these, these Christians who are actually trying to do a good thing. And I start to think, man, that just gives me no love for the body of Christ. So how do I have love for the body of Christ when people want to frustrate me or anger me? What do we do? Well, I want to walk through this and give you some ideas of of how we do this to begin with, to how we center on the gospel, how we think about what God has done in our lives first and then step into those relationships because that's what we need to do. We got to think about what God has done first and then step into those. So I'm going to give you... Four things to start. Here's the first one, how you deal with frustrating people in the church or in your life. And if you've been to Element any length of time, this is not going to be a shocker. It is keep Jesus as the center. Jesus must be the center. That means we focus on the gospel, our own rescue of what God has done in our own lives. We understand that we are a people who needed rescue and redemption from God himself. I know people sometimes like, I hardly ever sin anymore, I'm doing so good. I'm like, oh, that's not gonna go well for people around you. Because when we don't realize that we need the grace and the rescue of God, we start to become very judgmental of those around us. So we start with the place, God had to rescue me. Before we start to judge anyone else, I told you a story, I don't know probably years ago, but I once took my older dog, not the one I am now, my old dog, to obedience school. And if you have never been to obedience school with a dog, I recommend you all go. If you don't have a dog, borrow somebody's dog and go, because the dog's not going to school, you're going to school. And we're in this obedience school. It's this dog named Zan. She was about 125 pounds. We got her from the pound as a rescue. She didn't like other people. She didn't like other dogs. And that's why we're in obedience school. I'm in obedience school. And about four weeks in, this other class that had obedience school closed down. So these four people came to our class and they started hanging out with our class. And one of these guys brought a dog named Bob. This guy was, I guess, really into our teacher because he'd chatter up all the time. They'd both be distracted and he would never keep your dog on on his leash. Dogs in obedience school are supposed to be on their leash. So here would come Bob off leash and walk up to my dog. And my dog's being held by a leash because I'm smart, by like this. And it just like right to the edge of her leash and be all, and my dog would go, oh, you think? And then she would go and she would pull me and my chair holding the leash across the floor to Bob and go, and she had these huge paws and she would grab and pull things in. And I'm like, no! And then the teacher would look at me and she would be like, today we're learning to wait. And I'm like, well, I know I got a problem with patience. I I got that, but are you talking to me? You're talking to my dog? And this is how it went. I'm like, it is Bob. It is not my, well, it is my dog too, but it's Bob you get to the end of the class, you have to go through this whole obstacle course. So we go through the obstacle course, Zan and I come in last place, but everybody graduates, it's like kid sports today, everybody gets a trophy, and, but they probably just didn't want us back. And then after the whole class was over and all the frustration of the nine weeks of this class, someone told me, I could have just taken my dog to this place and dropped her off for three or four weeks and they would train her themselves and she would come back and she'd be eager and prompt and wholehearted and unquestioning in her obedience. <gasps> I could send her on the, on the trek of the Psalms of Ascent and I never even had to go with her at all. She'd come back and it'd just be great. And then I started to think, wouldn't it be nice if there were places like that for people? <laughs> and you laugh because you all think of somebody else, not yourself. <laughs> but we all need that. Do you know why there isn't a place like that for people? Because we all have a heart and a spirit and a soul, and we're all broken, and God does his work in his timing and his way. John Orberg once wrote, everyone has a holy of holies where only that person and God can meet. Only God can touch the deepest place of another's soul. That is why Jesus has to remain central in our relationships. And I would say prayer then becomes the closest thing you can do to actually influence another person on their deepest level. In prayer, you go with God into the deepest place of somebody else because between you and the innermost part of somebody else always stands Jesus. So if you want to interact and affect someone else deep in their heart and soul, you talk to Jesus about it. And here's the amazing thing. When you talk to Jesus about it, Jesus starts to change you. He starts to change you and you start to realize i don't have to control that person i don't have to make that person do exactly what i want them to do they don't always have to agree with me what we need to do is trust jesus enough to show up when he calls us to show up the rest is up to god when we center our lives on christ we become less controlling of other people that's how you live by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another jesus must be central. Second, make a, choo- a choice to love like God loves. In Matthew 5, and 45, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. I told you this before as well. Many studies have been done looking at what makes us actually like someone else. And they go through all the things of attractiveness and IQ and personality type. You know, the number one factor that determines whether you will like somebody else or not, it's whether they like you. That's the number one reason. Oh, they don't like me, I don't like them. Oh, they like me, oh, I think I like them. I mean, (laughs) Mother Teresa doesn't like me, I always thought she was shallow. Can you imagine things like that? It's humbling to realize the truth, but God's way is not that way. God loves those who love him. He loves those who don't love him. He doesn't say like, oh, I'm God. I guess I have to love those people. Well, they wish I didn't have to. No, he makes a choice to love because he understands that we are a people who need to be drawn back to him. So we make a choice to love like God loves. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners running from him, Christ died for us. We make a choice to love like God loves. Third thing is, we listen to God's Spirit. And this is why these steps of discipleship are important, especially when you get to that place of prayer. What God says, we listen to. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 30 and 30, 30 to 32 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Meaning, don't shut him out or fail to listen, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I think that God has wired us, and I talked about this during this series, in, in ways that when things become overwhelming or we get really frustrated, that God creates some in us to cry out to Him, especially for times of mercy. God, hear my cry, hear what's going on, I don't know what to do here. Someone, I was reading this book and someone in this book talked about neurosurgery and neuroscience, and they said, from the time when your brain tells your hand to move, there's like a quarter of a second delay between when your brain says it and your hand actually does it. And so this guy says he thinks that God built that into us. So when something really tiresome or or fearful is going on, we have a moment to step back and say, okay, God, take control in this moment. He actually quotes Ephesians 4, uh, verses 26 and 27, in your anger, don't sin and do not give the devil a foothold. And so he says, in those moments, we can give the Holy Spirit a foothold and not the double a foothold in that quarter of a second. Now, I kind of feel like he's stretching it just a little bit, but I'm not a neuroscientist and I don't know. Maybe God did that for a reason, but I will tell you this. It is amazing how the desire to hurt someone you love can be so strong one moment. And then when you indulge that, the pain and the misery that that can bring on the other side of it. And so God tells us in those moments when you don't know what to do to take a step back and cry out to Him and to listen to what He calls us to. And guys, I'll tell you, the good news is when we blow it, and we'll blow it, part of this understanding of brothers and sisters dwelling in unity is that God does call us to go to one another and lay ourselves open and bare before one another and apologize and repent and bring about reconciliation. One of the things I don't like about Peterson's translation is he says when brothers and sisters get along. In our culture, we think, oh, we just don't ever rock the boat so everybody gets along. The word unity is so much better. We are unified around the person of Christ. That doesn't mean we always get along. And so when we do mess up, we go to one another in unity because we have first gone to Christ and laid ourselves bare before him. So we can go to one another and we can apologize and say, look, I am so sorry, this is what I did. And we bring about reconciliation. We don't have to make it seem like we never had any problems. We just throw it out there and say, this is who I am. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. In driver's ed, they tell you you're supposed to leave one car length for every 10 miles an hour you're going. I know nobody does that, but that's the rule. Uh, now, imagine if we did that with people who frustrate us, who we know frustrate us, who are a little difficult. We just leave a little bit more space. And so when something happens, it's not that we don't interact, it's not that we're not in, trying to be in friendship, but when something happens, it gives us a little more time to actually ask God, God, what do you want me to do in these moments? And we listen to God's spirit and where he leads us in those places. So we keep Jesus as a center. We love like God loves. Uh, we listen to God's spirit in the midst of all that. And then fourthly, we want to learn from Jesus. This is why we have these steps of discipleship in, in repentance and trust and worship and service and witness. We look at what Jesus said. We Look at his life because no one mastered the art of dealing with difficult people better than Jesus. And you look at what Jesus did in his life. He had to deal with the Romans and Herod and the Jewish masses and his family and his friends who abandoned him. Jesus never once prayed, it would be so much better if these people weren't around. Father, just get rid of them all. He he doesn't do that. What he does is gives us ways to begin to interact with people differently. So here's an example. How do you deal with those who insult you? Matthew 5 verses 38 and 39. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So eye for an eye comes from the ancient Hebrew Bible. And in the scriptures, that sounds kind of harsh to us today in our world. But this is an enormous step forward in legal practice. In this time and day and age, there's no policeman and no constitution, no bill of rights, and powerful people might be able to kill somebody for a slight against them. And what this taught was proportional justice. So in Jesus' day, it's a society that's built around shame and honor, and the left hand was considered unclean. Uh, It was not to be used for certain things, like you'd use your right hand to eat, but your left hand would clean that up. Uh, I don't know how to say it any differently. So if you slapped a blow to a right cheek on somebody, it would be done with your left hand. So this was not about physical harm. This is about public disgrace. And when we read this in the scripture, sometimes we don't get that. If Jesus is not saying stand there and let someone beat you up. What he's saying is, what do you do when someone insults you? Well, if you turn to them the other cheek, they cannot open hand slap you with the left hand. They'd have to do it with the right hand, which is something they don't want to do because that means they start to treat you like an equal. You have to find a non-violent, non-destructive way to resolve the conflict. That's what he's saying. And so when we are hurt or we are insulted, especially with those of God's people, there are new ways to deal with it. That's what he's saying. With God's Spirit, there's always new possibilities. You don't have to run. You don't have to hide. You don't have to strike back we can confront and step in in unity because we're centered around Christ in honesty and strength. We can be creative, we can be patient, we can be active, and we can work towards reconciliation. That's what Jesus calls us into. Why? For the purpose of being His community in the world that deals with one another differently. That's why Jesus calls us to remember that the person you don't get along with is also a human being, also made in the image of God, and that we would ask God's help for us to be able to be the people who helps that person to grow into who God calls them to be, just as we would pray that that person would help us to grow into who God calls us to be. Oh, they frustrate me. I have no patience with them. Well, thank God for that person because you probably need a little more patience. Okay. Okay. This is why we ask ourselves the question, how are we going to live in the community of faith. And this is one of the reasons at Element we talk about gospel communities all the time that we want you guys plugged into relationships with other people. And guys, I get it. Gospel communities are messy. And everybody's got to complain about any gospel community they've been to. Everybody thinks, well, that gospel community must be better. They don't have any problems. Every gospel community has a tons of problems. People are like, oh, they're too loud. Oh, they're too quiet. Everyone talks. Nobody talks. They have too many kids. They don't have many kids. They're too young. They're too old. They don't laugh enough. They laugh too much. They're too serious. They're not serious enough. Oh, it just, we get it. You know why a gospel community is frustrating? Because you're in it. <laughs> and I'm in it. That's why. This is why there's never a perfect church. People are like, I'm going to go to that church. It's better than this church. Not till you find out who everybody is in the church because it's full of people just like us. That's the thing. They're messy. But we plug in and do the hard work with one another of learning how to live and walk in relationship. When people use the word worship, which is one of the things we've talked about in this series, uh, worship, sometimes just people think of music. Sometimes people will think of a sermon, but sometimes people will think of fellowship with one another. But have you ever thought about worship as also how maybe we don't get along and maybe how we have to deal with some of those issues with one another? How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers dwell in unity. That's what it's saying. An explicit part of our worship is how we deal with one another. Peterson writes this, As we come to declare our love for God, we must face the unlovely and lovely fellow sinners whom God loves and commands us to love. It's not about putting up with each other. It's, it's why we talk about how to give, get along. Living in community is necessary and desirable, but it's also difficult. I don't know if you have siblings. I, I have a brother. When I was growing up, my brother and I fought about a lot of things. My brother would always say, hey, I'll pay you 25 cents if you go in the backyard and box with me. Because my mom was smart enough to buy my brother and I boxing gloves for Christmas one year, which you don't want your kids to fight. I don't know why you buy them boxing gloves, but whatever. And so I'd be like, oh, okay. And we'd go in the backyard. He punched me once in the face. He's, he's older than I am and bigger. Punched me in the face. I'd be like, and I'd run in the house crying. I think he must owe me tons of money because he never paid me my quarter. But that's what brothers do. They fight all the time. That's what siblings do. Sisters, brothers and sisters, they fight all the time. If you look in the Bible and you look at the first two brothers, it's not about unity. It's about murder. What was their fight about? Religion. That's what their fight was about, a quarrel over which one of them loved God the most. And so the one that thought his brother loved God more, he killed that brother to get him out of the way. Well, that guy's dead. He can't love God more than me. Woohoo! How horrible. You look at the story of Jacob and Esau, its brothers fighting. Uh, Joseph and this coat of many colors, that's a story of brothers fighting. Moses, he had his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam. It's a story, and you look, there's a lot of conflict there. Jesus and his brothers had conflict when they at first thought he was crazy. You're not the Messiah until he died and rose from the grave. And yet God calls us to see ourselves like a family. Why not something with less baggage? Why? Because family, living in unity is what he intends for us to be in our lives. Earlier this year, I quoted Dallas Willard, and sometimes people take this quote out of context, not understanding what he means, but this is the quote. God's aim in human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. All-inclusive doesn't mean that we don't have conflict, doesn't mean we don't disagree, it means our arms are wide open, welcoming people in. And who is the person we center on in that? It is God himself. That's what we're called to. God's solution to the problems in this world is meant to be lived out in tangible ways in his church, among his people. Not just a service you attend, not just a place you go, but a body of people who become a family who find the reality in him. Jesus comes to restore us as a people to God's family. As one person says, where no one is perfect, but everybody's welcome. You may be disappointed in your biological family. You may think they're just the worst. I mean, I, I would say, are you ever disappointed in your family? Don't raise your hand because you're probably sitting next to them. But, but you have to understand, in the end, that was never meant to be your ultimate family. God's family is meant to be our ultimate family with one another. God wants everyone to be part of that. It's what Jesus died for. It's what we're called to be. Romans 15 verse 7 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The word welcome there is also the word accept. You welcome into family and friendship. You show one another that we belong by how we treat one another. How do we accept and welcome? Just like Paul said, like Jesus first did to bring us in. I believe that God has planted the seed for community deep in our souls. In every relationship you will have in this world, apart from the one with Christ, your relationship is going to be based on performance, how well you do certain things, how well you measure up, what you can bring to them. Not so with Jesus. It's about what Jesus has offered for us, which is himself. The community of God's family, the church, is meant to be a place where we are accepted and we accept one another. Where people are not shamed because of their failures, but we can be open and honest about them. That we can step into one another's lives where people are messing up and failing and say, how can I help you in this? How can we walk through this together? We share all these things with one another because we come to a place where we can actually trust trust one another in unity. James, Jesus' own brother, says, James five sixteen. therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That practice can take place nowhere else than in a family with friendships that trust one another. Confession, prayer, and healing go together. You don't confess your sins at a job interview. You don't confess your sins on a first date or with someone you're trying to impress unless you're just really weird. You, you confess it in a place where you know there is grace and love. We can become honest with one another because we know one another cares for us. In this psalm, what is really interesting is it speaks of oil flowing down beards and and priestly robes. The people in that day would understand what that meant. Sometimes we don't. What that is, it's a symbol of priestly anointing, that we become one another's priests, that we take one another before the throne of God together. That's a community. Jesus has rescued us and redeemed us and sent us to be those who live in community with one another. You ever sat next to someone who just drives you crazy? I know you're saying, "Yes, I'm married to them." I get that, right? But you ever you ever thought in your mind, "I am called to be their priest." Because you are. Because I am. Because of what Christ has done. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How do we dwell in unity? We center ourselves around Jesus. We follow Jesus first. This is what the result of the gospel brings into our lives. Centered on the person of Christ. This is why every week when we talk about communion, that goes back to the place of understanding what Christ did to rescue us as a people. We must be honest enough to say, yes, I've sinned in front of God. I've hurt other people. I have done all these horrible and terrible things, and yet God has called me back to himself and loved me in spite of it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what brings unity to us. That is why we must be a people who become centered around it. I'm going to invite the band. I saw Mark come in. I'm going to invite Mark, if there's any else in the band here, you can come up with you. But as, as they do, I'm going to invite you guys to take communion. As I said, as a reminder of what Christ did to rescue us, where you take that cracker and you break it, and you drink the grape juice that's in there as a reminder of Christ's body that was broken for us. And His blood that was shed for us. Because He is the one who sought us out to bring us back to Himself. He is the one who adopts us into His family. And in that family, it is not just one individual. It is all of us coming together. I know it's hard to think that way sometimes because in America we are so individualistic. Like it's about me and my walk with God and not about that person. I just got to take care of me. But in the Scriptures, we are taught that we take care of one another that we are those who step into one another's lives in ways that reflect the goodness that we have first received in the gospel itself. So again, we first come to the place where we surrender our entire lives to God Himself in repentance, in trust, in worship. Then out of that, as I said, we begin to serve and witness and live in this world in ways that reflect the goodness of God. And that is by being part of His community. Part of that community is what reminds us of how to live in these steps of discipleship in ways that look like obedience and not legalism that look like like hope and not despair that look like love and not indifference or hate we are a people who are called to step into each other's lives in ways that stir us always back to the good news of the gospel of jesus christ so as you take communion, remind yourself of that. And, and if you need prayer today, maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like you're trying to do this like after a couple of years of COVID at this point. You're stuck doing all of this on your own. And you want someone to pray with you because you can't feel the presence of God or you don't have anybody else around you. Well, uh, talk to Justine at the Welcome Center. She'll connect you with one of us. We'll pray with you. Uh, we'll give you some uh, different places where some gospel communities are meeting. They can invite you in if you want to kind of connect to a community a little bit more than you have. We want to be a people who understand the grace and the goodness of God that He's extended to us, but then how He intends us to extend that to one another as well. In community, in family, in unity, because we're centered on the gospel. We also give, there's offering boxes next to every door. Uh, We do not pass the plate at element. Giving is simply a response to what God is doing in our lives, so that's why we don't pass the plate. And I encourage you to grab some of those sermon notes, take some of those questions this week that kind of talk about unity and community and pray the individual ones on the side, but also the ones, the questions on the other side, get together with people this week, you know, with other people in the family of God and talk about some of those things and start to walk through some of those questions together and what it means to truly be a people who live in the unity of the community that God calls us to. Because it's not easy, it is difficult, but I'll tell you that God is with us in those endeavors to love one another and to walk with one another because that is something He has called us to and it's how He intends for us to live. Again, it is not easy. But when our lives are first centered on the gospel, it all starts to come together more because we trust Him for His great salvation over us and we extend that great blessing to those around us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us and help us to begin to understand how important community is, the the places that you call us into, the hope that you lead us towards. Father, so often it is easy to lose sight of the family that you've called us into in light of the individual salvation that we receive. And so, God, I ask that as you send your spirit to move within us as a people, we would listen to your spirit. That we would trust you enough to step into difficult relationships. That we trust you enough to offer reconciliation in the places you call us to. That we would learn to be imaging you in all of our relationships. And that you would put a deep conviction in us of the importance of community. Not that we are saved by community because we're saved by you. That you have saved us and placed us into your family. have us trust you enough to live within that family change our minds and our hearts from being so self-centered so much of the time and to see beyond us into what you are calling us to be a family centered upon you that worships you that steps through hard and difficult processes To show the world what a people who follow you look like as they travel this road together. Teach us to be that community that centers upon you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. Now what we're going to do is, as they drop the blinds, I just want to give you a couple moments to think through that. Think of the ways that maybe people drive you nuts. All the ways that maybe you don't want to be connected in a community. Maybe you think you know less than everybody else, so you feel awkward if you went to a gospel community, or maybe you feel like you know more than everybody else, and you'd be like, oh, these are a bunch of dummies. or Whatever the reasons are that kind of keep you from stepping into community, lay those before God right now, and ask Him to begin to lead you in ways that you would trust Him enough to step into family with one another. Maybe there's a relationship that God is calling you to bring about reconciliation, in, and you just don't want to. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you always overlook everything that everybody has done. But God calls us to be ambassadors of who He is to the world and He is constantly calling people to Himself. And in that same blessing, we step out in the places He calls us to by listening to His Spirit and offering that same unity that we get to experience the rest of the family with those who maybe we are having a hard time with. So just ask God to reveal you those places and those people right now. Lay that before him. Then come and take communion and sing a couple songs with us because we worship who God is above who we are.